On today's episode, Josh Breton joins me live to talk about his new movie, The Tangle. Stay tuned. Welcome to the Sunday Night Army podcast. I'm your host, Jacob. That's right. Welcome to the award-winning Sunday Night Army podcast. Glad everybody's here. Find me on all social media. Don't forget to like and subscribe on uh, all the socials at the Sunday Night Army and Twitter at Sunday Night Army. Also, you're listening on a certain podcast catcher. Well, you find the show on any podcast catcher around the world. Right now, currently on 38 countries streamed so that's pretty cool 38 countries are streaming the sunday night army so where are you listening there you go awesome every podcast catcher you can think of around the world the sunday night army is there give it a shot check out all the episodes and today on episode 98 i'm about to sit down with josh baton to talk about his new movie and all the cool things he's done in his career so far so here we go so right now, I'd like to welcome to the Sunday Night Army. Again, you can find him on CBS's All Access Series $1, HBO's The Night Of, one of my favorite shows of all time, The Pacific, The Mentalist of Castle, which everybody knows, one of my favorite shows of all time, and countless other shows and movies, and his brand new sci-fi movie, The Tangle, comes out this Friday Josh Baton, welcome to the Sunday Night Army. Oh, I, it's a real pleasure to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Well, I appreciate you coming on the show. I know you've got this uh, tremendous movie coming out uh, Friday, and I, I, I saw the trailer, and I want to get into the movie because it's mm-hmm. so intriguing. But first, we're going to tease it. I want to find out more about you first. Uh, so with I don't know how you started in, in this industry, at the very beginning, because I know you have uh, stage experience also. I want to know how you got into all that first. Okay. Um, Well, there's a kind of specific story. So Mm -hmm. I was in college. I was a college baseball player. And my my focus was I was going to get a degree in sociology, and then I wanted to go to law school. I was sort of, my my mom used to tell me as a kid that I was sort of a born litigator, uh, because I like to talk. And while I was in school, one of my good friends convinced me to take an acting class. He was getting a degree in theater, which I thought was the silliest idea, because how would a degree in theater get you a a job as an actor? Um, But he convinced me to take this class. And I was in this class, and we were doing this kind of like almost dramatic improv scene uh, with this girl named Kim Sidden, um, who I definitely had a crush on back de- back in the day. Uh, and we were in the middle of the scene and I got completely lost where I forgot where I was. I forgot I was in a classroom. All that existed was her and I as a couple in a fight. And when the teacher basically said that was the end of the scene and the class started applauding, I kind of woke up. And in that moment, everything about my life pretty much changed. Um, I wound up uh, leaving the baseball team after my second, after my sophomore year, because I wanted to do the Shakespeare play in the spring rather than play ball. And then I wound up auditioning for graduate school uh, drama programs. So then I went 
to get a master's in acting, which throws my degree idea out the window. And, uh, and so I went to Rutgers in New Jersey and studied with a guy named William Esper who passed away um, somewhat recently and was a, my mentor. And, uh, and it was there that I was really properly trained and kind of opened up and that, uh, and that led me to New York. And uh, while in New York, I did a lot of theater, as you were talking about, around the country, some off-Broadway stuff. And then I got this crazy job working as Eminem's acting coach on the set of Eight Mile. And, and it was a weird series of events of how it unfolded because I wasn't an acting teacher, I was an actor. And I wound up spending four and a half months in Detroit with M and the crew and the cast and made deep, deep friendships with people. And they suggested I moved out to LA. So I came out to LA right after we wrapped uh, Eight Mile, I think in February, 2002. And I've been here since. Well, you know, you have something special when you drop all those things you were planning to do that you were doing and follow uh, this path. And, and you know what? And it shows because you've done so much uh, on stage, film and TV. And out of all those three, and, and they're all different, what do you find appealing about each? And which one appeals more to you personally? First, I love this question because oftentimes the only way this is framed is which do you love the most? Yeah. But they are, as you just kind of pointed out, there's something different to love about each one of the art forms. So I would say theater is my first love. Um, the beauty of theater is, is uh, I think, two things. One is, for the most part, you get to live through a story from beginning to end in that sequence every time. You know, some plays are sort of, constructed out of sequence, I, I would suppose. But overall, you're, you're telling the story in one fluid motion, which gets right. you to really live from beginning to end. And that's an amazing experience. Two, it's, I guess there's three big ones. Two is it's different every night, you know, mm -hmm. because there's different energy between you and the other actors. So there's always something to discover. And then the third thing, which might be the most powerful, is this kind of symbiotic relationship with your audience. They're in the scene. You can feel them. You know, you can you can feel their connection to it. If it's a comedy, if they laugh, they're into it. If they don't, something's off. You know, in a drama, you can feel them lean in when things really start to happen, and that relationship is is pretty exciting. Um, film and TV um, are different. Uh, so TV, for the most part, moves at a quick pace. Uh, and in, and in a lot of ways, what's, what's fun about that is you kind of got to go with instincts. You know, you do your mm -hmm. prep, you do your work, and then you show up on set and you kind of just get into it. One of the things that also is interesting is that there is kind of no audience. You've got your crew, but everyone's got their job to do. You're obviously your director and, and camera crew are watching your performance, but it is a bit more of an intimate kind of world where now I'm not worried about an audience experience. Now the only thing that matters is the other actor or actors in the scene. And, uh, and then the rest, you can kind of lean, leave up to, you know, the rest of your creative team. Um, and, you know, just to be really honest, mm -hmm. you get paid pretty well, you know, which as an, as an actor who came from the theater, getting paid to act in a way that can sustain you feels like the gift of all gifts. Um, film gets even more intimate. 
film gets, in my experience, even on smaller budget films, there's more time. And, and sometimes that means more takes if you've got enough budget, so you get to run the scene numerous times, but also a lot of times, a lot more time for breath. There's a lot, there's a lot of story that is told in unspoken moments and film to me frames those in that kind of way. And so each one kind of gives you a different way to, to live in the moment, you know? Mm -hmm. So being lucky enough to do all three um, with some regularity, uh, I, feel, I feel spoiled when I'm working because each time it's a different experience. In terms of that second part of the question, which kind of I let off with, I think theater is my first love because it's really where I discovered that kind of like really strong human contact that is unfiltered because people can be so open and honest in the acting arena. And it's sometimes harder to be that open in the real world. Mm -hmm. that, that, that's, that makes sense to me. And that's perfect. Now, uh, let's focus on something you just mentioned. Let's talk about film and how that translates because your brand new movie, mm -hmm. uh, The Tangle. Now, I, again, I've watched the trailer and it's one of the most unique ideas I've seen in a very long time. Again, I'm not going to spoil it. It's, it's coming out Friday and everybody yep. needs to see it. Um, it blew me away. Now, it's getting great ratings. It's getting great reviews. I've been watching it. All, all week as it's being, you know, pressed Teased everywhere. Out. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, it, it's, it's amazing. Now, tell me um, about, the, uh, about the idea for the movie, uh, what well, it's about. Okay, so Christopher Soren Kelly, who is one of my closest friends, uh, we did a, a short together that he wrote called Chasseur. Um, and it was the two of us. We were the, the whole cast. And... Um, and we shot this short and it, it did very well. It won a number of festivals and, and was nominated in a number of others. And Chris uh, is a remarkably creative and poetic person. So Chaucer has no relation to this story, but it, I could see, I now started to understand the way sort of Chris wrote and what was happening. So about, I wanna say maybe a year after we shot Chaucer, Chris called me and said, listen, I'm writing film and I'd like you to play uh, the lead in it. And, you know, I was immediately interested because uh, it was Chris mm -hmm. and also who doesn't want to be the lead in the film. <laughs> so, uh, so Chris uh, sent me this script. And the thing about the tangle is, is it's, there's, there, to me, there's this brilliant concept going on, which is it's a wildly futuristic world. It's a world where, where we had the internet, which we all experience now, how we're talking. Then we now have the internet of things where my refrigerator can talk to my phone, which right. can order me food if I want it delivered to the house. The Tangle is a world where now we have an internet of everything, where each human being is tapped in to this super net. And there are these nanobots, uh, unseeable to the eye, that basically float and help us live in and monitor the world we're in. So for instance, if I were standing opposite you, we would see each other through avatars that we decided we wanted to look like. And these mm -hmm. nanobots would filter that through our eyes. So I'd see what you want me to see and vice versa. Mm -hmm. uh, if I went to punch you, 
the nanobots, knowing that violence is not allowed in this futuristic world, would stop my hand from actually moving. So it's a world where the only private place is in this sort of connection that you have to this sort of massive internet. Uh, you have this thing called a soul, S-O-L, which is implanted in every human being. And uh, there I can choose who's allowed into essentially my deepest thoughts, my deepest experiences. So in this world, murder is not possible. Violence is not possible. And there's a group of people who live outside of the tangle that kind of monitor and police it. And in our film, there's been a murder and they need to solve it and, and also figure out how a murder would even be possible. Mm -hmm. So what I thought was so fun about it is that Chris has created what feels like a 40s or 50s noir film that takes place mainly in one location. So it has that new, noir kind of clip to the language. It has the poetry of that, of that kind of, you know, musicality that you hear in those films from the 50s um, in a wildly futuristic world. So he's kind of meshed these two, uh, what could seem to be opposing styles. And I think he's done it kind of brilliantly and seamlessly. On top of that, because he is uh, really a, a poet, Chris is a poet, he writes poetry amongst other things. There's a poetry and a meter to the language that was super challenging to tackle, but once you understood it, was an amazing ride through the performance. It, it was fun, yeah. Well, I was I saw it's it's beautifully shot. I have to say that, and it's a very very interesting concept of our movie. Now, uh, tell me more about your character uh, Carter. So Carter is one of the people who helped develop the tangle, and the tangle is the name of this kind of larger mm -hmm. internet. And to make the tangle kind of think and operate with a sort of human sense, uh, there is a sort of there's a there's poetry at the center of it as if poetry is the highest sort of sort of form of human emotion mm -hmm. and and then i was sort of ousted from this world from that world from the creation of it so i live in this sort of day-to-day -day world and i'm not having the best life i'm kind of like a sort of private detective trying to solve like is my husband cheating on me type mm -hmm. of thing in this kind of futuristic world. Then this murder happens. And the next thing I know, I'm dragged back into a place that I helped create, surrounded by people that were, to me, the family that jilted me. Mm. And, and they are certain that I've killed someone. And I'm definitely furious at all of them. Mm. And one of the people who was, and the person who was killed was a member of our team. See, that's, I think that's the best tease we can get right there uh, for the movie. <laughs> now, the location, because it is, it is beautiful in a lot of these shots. Uh, how was the location and how was, uh, how was the shooting on set? So it was amazing. So Robert Moratori is our DP and uh, he shot Chasor, that short that we did. And this guy is truly a wizard with a camera. I've watched work of his that spans across all genres and everything he shoots to me is amongst the most artistic of that genre. So he can kind of do everything. Um, Eric Thorne was our set designer 
and builder. And we basically had an empty warehouse about an hour south of Los Angeles. And Eric developed this space that these monitors of the Tangle would live in. It's a totally analog world. Mm -hmm. There's nothing high tech in it. And he built this beautiful, huge space that allowed the, um, the lighting designer to really pour light in in different ways. And it had sort of different sections. It was like a living room and a kitchen and, and, a, and, and a bunch of spaces within this space uh, that it was, and it was pretty much 360 degrees. So when you were in the set, you could really live in the world. Hmm. You know, it's one of those uh, experiences where even though sometimes the camera was right in my face, it was very easy to lose the camera and sort of stay in the moment because the world was so textured. Um, and what was amazing about this film is that every one of us in the cast helped build that set. We all That's went cool. down there when they were building and we all were in, you know, Nicole De Silva, mm -hmm. obviously Jessica Graham and um, Chris, and we were there helping Eric build the set and put up walls. And it made the experience so personal because it really feels even now like our film, not a film I'm in, but our film. And that is a really cool connection to have to a piece of, wor of work. Well, I'm excited to see it. Uh, not too long from now, on Friday, March 19th, the Tangle. Uh, definitely looking forward to it. now. With that tremendous experience um, that you just shared with us, uh, you're, you're piggybacking on a, a lot of the other experience that you've put together. You've been in, in many memorable shows and movies, like I mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. uh, with some of my favorite, obviously, there's, the list is huge. Like you go to IMDb and you just like a billion things you've been in. It's, <laughs> I mean, it's amazing. Uh, but I, I had to pick out a couple because they're on my favorites list of all yeah. time, like the Pacific insane hbo uh, show loved it um national treasure and castle which is on my list of like top five favorite shows of all time um yeah. but the pacific specifically i'll say favorite. that a few times yeah it's uh i've, I've watched that um a few dozen times over because it follows my binging of band of brothers and the pacific comes up next yeah and that that must have been an experience it was the most amazing experience I've ever had. I have to say that. Um, every, every detail of it. We shot in Australia, uh, in the Daintree Rainforest, and then in Melbourne. We had a boot camp that was run by all former combat Marines headed by Captain Dale Dye, who also did the boot camp for Band of Brothers. Yes, or he's fantastic. Mm -hmm. He's fantastic. And, uh, and then the friendships that began in that boot camp and are so deep that most of the cast of that show, I speak to somewhat regularly, like every week, every couple weeks, some who I see all the time. My, my best friends in the business come from that show. And it's because on that set, which I believe at the time was the most expensive television show ever made. Yes. There were almost no egos we loved one another and it was one of those things that when i watched the pacific which i don't do often um because the experience really kind of like lives in my memory mm -hmm. but when i watch it i get emotional at things because of the memories that behind them 
as much as what we shot on the screen. And then we had the most, I mean, you know, you're working Hanks and Spielberg and Tony right. Toe, you know, and Graham Yost and Bruce McKenna and Tim Van Patten and David Nutter and, you know, all of these remarkable artists and directors and creators. And they tell you, hey, go play. Man, it was it was as amazing as you hope it was, is what I would say. That's that's crazy. I love that. Now, with your experience with uh, such a range of um, actors and directors, anybody give you ever any advice that to this day you keep? Yeah. Let's see if I can quote him right. There was an actor. <laughs> this is when I was in graduate school. And weirdly enough, Woody Allen shot two days of the movie Celebrity at my dad's house. Huh. And yeah, they scouted the house. And my stepmom called me and said, you tell that school that on Friday you need to come home because you need to meet Woody Allen and Joe Montaigne and Judy Davis. Oh. So I was in a play and my director begrudgingly let me out of rehearsal for one night. And I came home and I spent the day there. And I chatted with Woody Allen for a little bit. Um, and then I sat down with Joe Montaigne for like an hour and a half. He just he just wanted to talk shop and talk about his career and mm -hmm. and not and share like insight, which was amazing. And then an actor named Frank Pellegrino, who you'd recognize, he's kind of been in everything. He had a recurring role as an FBI agent on The Sopranos. Mm -hmm. He told me that an actor needs to have the heart of a lion, the skin of an elephant, and the patience of an angel. And he said, the heart of a lion, which is fearless and vulnerable and brave when you walk into the acting arena, right? You mm -hmm. open your heart up and you're brave enough to live it. The skin of an elephant, because the business will oftentimes try to chop you down and you have to have thick skin to say, I'm good. And the patience of an angel, because you just don't know how long the wait will be. And if you can have those three things, he said, you'll survive in this thing. And it stuck with me. It just sounded kind of lovely and badass and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, and so I've tried to remind myself of that, you know, uh, as I've gone through amazing highs and frustrating lows that we're in it for the long game. We got the pace, patience of an angel and, uh, and we get, and when we get to do our work, we, we are allotted a freedom that a lot of people in their careers don't have. That, that's tremendous. Uh, let, let's follow that up because uh, you do coaching. Uh, you have your own acting, you're an acting coach. You have your own studio. How does yeah. that fit into your career? It's wild, you know, to be really, really honest, it started as what I would call what became my survival job, you know, my mm -hmm. between acting job, job. But over the years, because I used to teach for someone else at, at their school, um, a woman named Carolyn Barry, who passed away a few years ago from cancer, and I just must give her respect because she, mm -hmm. she helped me survive in LA when I was in the really, really lean times. But it went from being a survival job to being something that is a part of who I am. You know, my mentor, William Esper, uh, he taught a very specific technique of acting called the Meisner technique. And he studied with Sanford Meisner, who 
Um, you know, these are Sandy and Bill are two of the most revered acting teachers in the history of the country. And when someone asked me to teach the Meisner work, I didn't want to do it um, because I didn't want to disrespect it. And I called Bill, Will, William Esper, we all call him Bill. And Bill said to me, no, you understand the work, you should teach it. And that was a, a nearly emotional experience for me, to be really honest, because I felt like I'd been blessed by, you know, the Pope. And, and, and more importantly, it, it, I, he was putting me on a path I didn't know, I didn't know I was about to walk on, which is being a teacher has become part of my soul. I have mm -hmm. students who work, actually Chris Kelly and Jessica Graham in this film were students of mine first before we became close, close friends. And um, I, I have uh, watched, watching actors grow is such an amazing experience. And it's also made me a far better actor. You know, it keeps me in a student mindset in a way, like I'm, I'm, I know there's always something to learn. Uh, it helped reinforce for me the fact that I had some idea of what I was doing, what I was talking about. And because even if I'm not working on a set or on a stage, I am constantly working on scripts and moments with artists. I continue to be involved, which I think has deepened my understanding. And I think it's, I think, it, I know it's made me a better actor. I definitely know it's made me a better person to have to constantly interact in that way because, you know, a lot of actors, you know, most people don't come into the acting arena if they come from a stable, healthy background. There are some that do, but a lot of times, and this is just a little insight that I've experienced, there's trauma in their past. And what makes them such great artists is they've been kind of ripped open at a young age, and now they have this well of, of raw material. And when they learn how to shape it and use it to tell story and to move people to laughter or move them to tears, it heals them, you know? So when you're mm -hmm. teaching people who have come from that, you gotta, you gotta respect that and you gotta give that its space, but also know how to push them forward when they need a little nudge. So it's, uh, it's been a really interesting experience for me and one that I like seriously cherish. I see that and it looks like it, it comes around full circle and that is tremendous. Now, I, I need to get into this because if I don't ask this questions, my fan base and my friends will torture me uh, to no to no end. Just because, just because I am across the river from Detroit, and you okay. and, and you've touched on this already, um, and I have to ask it. I'm sure you get this a lot too, because you had a massive influence on the Eight Mile movie, which around here it's like a sacred DVD. Uh, mm -hmm. Everybody has to have one. And because we're all Eminem fans, you're Eminem's acting coach. And yeah. I have to give you props because personally, I follow his career since the beginning. He never smiles. So <laughs> I want to know how you approach that and how that all came about. Okay. So this is a really interesting story and uh, I actually love to tell it. So a buddy of mine had an audition for the role that Mackay Pfeiffer wound up getting mm -hmm. eventually. And Mally Finn, God rest her soul, uh, was the casting director of that film. And Mally uh, asked people who are auditioning in New York, she'd flown out from LA to bring their own reader, another actor to read with. And my friend Jamal called me and said, cause I was a hip hop kid. He was like, yo, I need you 
to be in this audition with me. His exact quote was, you're the only white homeboy I know. <laughs> so I went with him to, to just be his reader and basically play the Eminem role. And two guys who were waiting in the hallway hadn't brought their own reader. And Jamal was like, stay, man. And so I, I offered to stay and read with them. I got this little, I had this great conversation with Mally. She said, I want you to call my office. I want you to get an audition, tell them to give you an audition for the character of Wink, the one that Eugene Bird wound up getting and playing beautifully. And then uh, she said, also, I would love for you to be the reader at the callbacks. And, uh, and I was like, oh, wow. And I was kind of blown away that all this was sort of happening. So I, I came in on a, uh, maybe a Friday, I had my audition. I came in on Sunday and I was the reader with Curtis Hansen in the room and Carol Fenelon, his producing partner. And I had the most amazing morning. I read with Kerry Washington, who was at the time, it was down to her and Brittany Murphy, I think for that role. And Carrie and I like that, that improv I told you about that got me into acting. Carrie and I got lost in a scene. We were both of us. It was like we were on a, it, at the time it was written that it took place on a bus where they first meet. And when we were done, this is how kind Carrie Washington is. She's in there auditioning for this major role and she, the, the scene ends, she takes a beat, she looks at me and she goes, you're amazing. And I was like, what? And she goes, he's amazing. Where did you find this guy? He's amazing. <laughs> awesome. And what's more, and what's even more awesome is I bumped into her three days later on the street on 57th street. And she was like, do you have an agent? And I said, no. And she called her agent right there and oh, wow. set up a meeting with me with her agent, which is, it's a kind of kindness you don't experience a lot, especially mm -hmm. when you're a reader. Well, I guess I did a good job. They brought me back. And then they asked if they could fly me to Detroit to play M's role in the screen test for the other characters. So I was in the D, which uh, is a place that I have a tremendous amount of love for. I love that city, those people. It's, it's amazing. So I'm in Detroit and I'm about to read with Mackay Pfeiffer. And then M walks in to watch. And I don't know him. I'm real nervous. I'm playing his role. And I'm, what I'm nervous about is that he's going to be like, who's this dude? And hate me, you know? We read the scene. Makai is a beast of an actor, so we're in it, and it's mm -hmm. fun. And they finish, Makai leaves. M walks up to me, gives me a pound and a hug, and says, yo, dude, how do you do that? And we start talking about it. Crazy thing was, is this was 9-11, and we, just, we were starting so early in the morning, we didn't know what happened. Mm -hmm. The second actor came in, who was Eugene, with all but tears in his eyes, and was like, turn on the TV. And we saw, you know, the second plane hit. So it was this really surreal world from the, went from like the most exciting moment of my life as a hip hop kid from New York, now meeting Eminem and screen testing the Pi Pfeiffer to, you know, the world being on fire, right. our whole life changing. So we all called our families and make sure everyone was okay. And then hours later, Curtis Hansen, the director was like, hey, I don't know what to do to fill the time Josh, would you be willing to meet, just sit with M and I, or Marshall and I, um, and, uh, and rehearse? So we rehearsed for a couple hours, kind of as a distraction from what was going on. Mm -hmm. And Curtis would give me like a note and I would take an adjustment. And then he would say to M, do you see how his performance changed? And then I would talk to Marshall and be like, yeah, see, I look at it like this and this and this and this and this. And we kind of vibed and and after the screen tests were over, 
we were trying to figure out how to get back to New York. There was no planes, there were no trains, you know, um, right. and they called me into an office and I thought this was just like a thank you. You've been really helpful. And, uh, and they said, uh, we're going to get you home, but we'd like you to come back out and spend a couple weeks with Marshall and Curtis rehearsing. So that's how it started. A couple weeks turned into a month. We added one cast member at a time. At first it was just Marshall and I working through the script Then Makai came and then it was the three of us with the director. And then um, Omar Benson Miller came. So it was the four of us and then um, Evan Jones and then D'Angelo and, uh, and we rehearsed. And then when we were done rehearsal, like I called into an office again and I thought this was my goodbye. And they said, look, we think you have a really positive influence on Marshall. Would you be willing to stay? We'll put, you know, we'll, we'll set you up with a place to stay and, you know, we'll pay you a little bit. And, uh, and I wound up being on set with him every day for four and a half months. And I will tell you this, as one of the best dudes in the world, Am mm -hmm. is funny, uh, cracks jokes constantly. That's all we all did. Those guys I just mentioned, we just laughed. We laughed for four and a half months. We hung out all the time. Um, we went to movies and football games together and dinners and and laughed our our asses off. And um, that is one of those experiences that I walked away with family, for sure, just like the Pacific. Um, so I'm a big fan of that movie. And and look, man, M's an artist, dude. He. Yeah. You know, he was new at what he was doing, but halfway through that movie, maybe even earlier than that, he just got it. And he started really living raw and really bringing it. And um, and I would just rehearse with him in the mornings and then I would be on set at the monitors with the director. And if I had a note, Curtis would be like, go tell M and M and I would rap about it. And I'd be like, yo, maybe come at him harder, put him in his place. And he'd be like, cool. He was an absolute professional he never raised a stink that guy was on set for 14 hours a day almost every day six days a week and he was a professional the crew loved him the cast loved him i loved him you know and continue to have like love and respect for him um and all those dudes that's awesome because that's that movie's uh just a cult classic out here that like i said everybody has and to get that background on on what you did is just truly amazing. That's that sounds an, an incredible experience. It really does. Thanks, man. It was. Now, getting back to 2021, um, what what's the year we're having with COVID and everything else? What's um, anything you can talk that you can talk about uh, that's coming up uh, besides the Tangle coming out and uh, on Friday that's coming out in 2021? Anything upcoming? Movies, TV shows. Yeah, so it's interesting because, you know, it's been a weird year, obviously, for yes. all of us. And there is hope, uh, hope at the end of the tunnel is kind of what it feels like to me. And uh, I, it's funny that you mentioned Castle because uh, about two weeks ago, I shot a guest star on The Rookie. Oh, and, nice. Yeah, okay. and I got to see Nathan, Nathan again. Yeah, that's awesome. Another one of the, like, great, fun gentlemen in this business. He, that guy is better than you can imagine. Oh, I, I, I love them and, and, and most of the things he's done. Yeah, he's, he's tremendous. But you should see him with like the crew. Like a lot of the crew from The Rookie worked mm -hmm. on Castle because there was no separation between actor and cast. They were all a big family on Castle. So when I got to work on it for a few episodes, I really got like indoctrinated into this little family. And when I got on set for The Rookie, 
Nathan was talking to me about how, you know, his biggest concern was finding a safe way to get the show up because he knew the crew needed to make a living. And that, mm -hmm. you know, he felt that responsibility to keep them working. And, you know, uh, we got to catch up a little bit, which was super fun. So I got an episode of The Rookie coming out. And cool. then at the end of April, uh, it looks like I'll be going to Oklahoma for about a month to shoot an independent film called Heartland Cartel. Uh, that was written by a guy named Brandon Smith, who's also going to be the lead in it. He's a former NFL football player turned actor. And uh, Danny Trejo was in it. And uh, I actually got to shoot my my scenes with Danny Trejo um, in December, because that's when we started shooting. And then the, the COVID spike was, I think, too big. And so we mm -hmm. kind of shut down. But we're looks like we'll be going back to Oklahoma um, and to shoot that movie. So that's what's next. And, and uh, who knows what happens after that? You know, that's one mm -hmm. of the things about this life. I've chosen that and uh, it can be super fun and we'll see what happens. I, I love it. Definitely something to look forward to it, but we have the tangle coming up obviously on Friday. So that'll be tremendous. Now, if my audience wanted to follow you and all your upcoming projects uh, worth, where can they go on the social media and uh, uh, just follow? I'm on Instagram at Joshua Baton and I'm on Twitter at Joshua Baton. Um, really original uh, screen names. Mm. Uh, but uh, you can follow me there. I post about anything that I'm doing uh, in both locations. And uh, yeah, so I guess that's where you do that. That's tremendous. And of course, uh, all you guys listening can follow the Southern Ed Army. You will see, uh, I will tag Josh in everything that is posted. So easiest thing, just follow the show get the link and you'll follow Josh right there. Josh, thank you for coming on the Sunday Night Army and talking to me today. Uh, Jacob is a serious pleasure, man. Thank you so much for helping us promote this film. It means the world to us. No problem. It's awesome. And it's coming out Friday. So let's go check it out, everybody.